0: The book of uh, 2 Peter is all about creating change and confronting reality, the reality of who Christ is, of who we are without Christ in our life, and of who we are uh, called to be in this relationship with Christ. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how knowing Jesus is the key to receiving from God. It's the key to victorious living. It's the key to experiencing a changed life. And last week we talked about how we must make knowing Jesus a priority and how we need to measure our progress in developing these Christian virtues like goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love. These are the things that we add to our faith in order to be productive and effective for the glory of God. Peter closes the first chapter of this letter by reminding us that we are saved by grace, not by our works. And all of us must one day come face to face with Jesus Christ to give an account of our life. And God's ultimate desire is to bring us together to be with him for all of eternity. What an upbeat message it is. And then Peter begins (laughs) chapter 2. And he gets a little negative, it seems, by our standards today, at least. But as you will see, necessarily so. And his purpose here is to issue a warning to these Christians about false teachers in the church, and to let me uh, and to uh, let me tell you in advance, he doesn't have much good to say about them, as you've already heard. You see, even in the first century church, there was a problem with people distorting the truth, the words of Jesus, and the teachings of the Apostles in order to manipulate and control people. And ultimately their goal was to squeeze people out of their money and out of their faith and out of their positions of leadership in the church. And some false teachers taught that you had to follow all the Jewish laws in order to be a Christian. Others taught that you could live as immorally as you wanted to and still be a Christian. And just like today, there were people saying a lot of different things that had no relation to the Word of God. In fact, that's why some of the New Testament epistles were were written to defend truth against error. So I invite you to pay attention to what Peter says today about false teachers in here in the second chapter of his letter. Uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. But first I want us to spend a few moments today thinking about the nature and the characteristic of uh, characteristics of false teachers. I think this passage is a little terrifying because it tells us how seriously God views these matters of lying and pitting people against each other and causing divisions in the church and doing harm to the God who gives us life. Peter says that these are people who put themselves on the fast downhill slide to destruction, but usually not before they recruit a crowd of mixed up followers who can't tell right from wrong. Now Peter isn't very specific about exactly what is being taught by these false teachers. What we do know is that false teaching through the ages has taken different forms and content, the content varies, but it tends to follow the same pattern here Peter is trying to help us think uh, to know how to recognize false teaching how to make sure that we aren't being misled and how to make sure that we don't act like they act and so there are some general observations I want us to consider first of all while we acknowledge that false teachers do exist they must never become the focus of our ministry under the very broad label of Christianity there are many 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 churches who all agree on the basic fundamental core doctrines of our faith the authority of scripture the lordship of Christ the separation of uh, from God by sin the atoning death of Jesus and his bodily resurrection these are the fundamentals of our faith And even though we have minor differences with some churches in terms of our styles of worship and policies and things like that, we can usually agree on the major issues. And the differences, for the most part, aren't all that significant. But there are some exceptions. All religions are not following the same road to God. There are religious groups that are considered to be outside the circle of orthodox Christianity because they don't believe the, the most things that I just mentioned. They believe only their version of the Bible is correct even though it's heavily influenced by the writer of their or the writings of their founder. They don't believe in things like the divine nature of Jesus or his atoning death for sin or his bodily resurrection they're teaching a false religion and this isn't just the case in the twenty first century it's been the case since the time of the apostles so what should be the church's response to all of this well should we be spending more of our budget fighting these cult groups should we be carrying picket signs outside of their meeting places or devoting our teaching to better understanding how to avoid those who may be knocking at our door Probably not. And yet there are groups of well meaning Christians doing just that. There are groups who don't like certain churches or pastors that they see on television. They don't like Focus on the Family and its ministry. Or they don't like Rick Warren and some of the work that he's done uh, uh, in, in Saddleback Church in California. They don't like Hillsong music. So, they set up websites and they devote themselves to tearing down whatever they don't agree with. And their objection is not based usually on biblical principles as much as individual likes and dislikes, on their own self interest. So, what are we called to do? Well, as Christians, we're called to share the story of Jesus, aren't we? To call others into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to serve others. In the name of Christ, that's what our job is. Feeding the poor, ministering to the sick, loving the lost, glorifying the Lord. Nowhere does Peter say that our job is to argue or to speak against people we don't agree with. There will always be those who bring dishonor to the name of Christ. But our job is to focus on the ministry that God has given us and go on doing the work of Jesus, seeing seeking out those who are lost. We must never lose sight of the ministry to which God has called us. But here's a second observation. God is aware of who the false teachers are. And Peter makes that pretty clear and says that God will take care of the situation. God is very much aware of the people who are deliberately distorting the truth and leading God's people astray. And he's also aware of those who are telling the truth and taking care of them And Peter uses the example of how God punishes the wicked in Noah's day, but saved Noah, because he was the sole voice of righteousness in an ungodly world. God punished the wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah for their ungodly life, but he saved Lot, who stayed pure in a culture that was surrounded by moral rot. And Peter says that the false teachers give the way of truth a bad name they're only out for themselves they'll say anything that sounds good to exploit somebody else but they won't get away with it they'll come to a bad end because god has never just stood by and let that kind of thing go on now we may think we're getting away with something we may even be able to convince ourselves that our mission is just and good but god is the one who sees the heart isn't he Those who are following the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and those who despise uh, authority and those who are doing unholy things will not escape the notice of a holy God. Remember in verse 2, Peter says, false teachers will bring swift destruction upon themselves. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them already and their destruction has not been sleeping. Verse 12 says, they are like wild beasts that will be caught and destroyed. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Verse 17, blackest darkness is reserved for them. God is well aware of the damage done by those who go around spreading false information. Taking advantage of people, leading people astray, and God will take care of it. We don't have to do his job for him. We just have to do what he's called us to do, and that's love him and serve him. There's a third observation about false teachers. Most of the characteristics of false teachers have to do with character, not with content. Peter, if you'll notice, was not warning these early Christians about these destructive heresies. In other words, against the information, the teachings that could lead people astray, most of what he says applies to the people who were doing these things and sometimes you see under the umbrella of the Christian label there are people whose theology may sound a little authentic but whose behavior is destructive sometimes a person's behavior can corrupt a ministry that it ultimately leads others off the path with them in a wrong direction in ministry circles bad character tends to spawn bad theology People who spread false information and bad doctrine uh, who lead people away from the truth with their own brand of truth are unreliable and they compromise the whole ministry. As I said earlier, I find this chapter to be a little frightening in some ways because as leaders in the church, we're to take very seriously our responsibility to lead people in the truth of God's word. And our prayer every day is to be faithful to the truth and not be the kind of church that distorts the word of God to fit our own ends. It's a question of integrity. It's a question of character. Now it's true that Peter was dealing with some false teachers and preachers in his day that were leading these new Christians astray. But instead of focusing just on the problems of his time, I think it might be helpful for us to try to discern and apply the truth to our life today to understand some of the characteristics and that universally fit those who we might call false teachers so let me say again we're not only talking about television evangelists or celebrity preachers or cult leaders or new age gurus there are plenty of individuals all shapes and sizes who find themselves leading people astray disseminating false information deliberately trying to undermine ministry insinuating something other than the truth. Some of the characteristics of false teachers are these. An exaggerated emphasis on themselves. Verse 3 says, In their greed these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. False teachers are experts at greed. The Greek word translated greed literally means a lust for more. Peter isn't so much talking about money as he is the motivation behind whatever the false teacher is doing. He's telling us that God is incensed by people who live by lust. Lust for more power, for more glory, more recognition to get what they want. And they will exploit the people around them. And you're thinking, this doesn't just happen in the church, do it? does it? We see it all across the spectrum of our society. They will try to get you to follow them by buying into their schemes, not with facts, but by, with stories they've made up. But another characteristic of false teachers is a refusal to a submit to authority. Listen to verse 10 again. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. In the message translation, Gene Peterson says, false teachers are egotists. Who despise interference from true authority, they prefer to indulge in self rule and have a ten- tendency to set themselves up as the center of their sphere of influence. They don't hesitate to speak evil, to throw their weight around, and to slander others before God. You've all heard the saying absolute power destroys absolutely. And it's true. In kingdom work, it's true. In politics, it's true. In a lot of different areas of our culture, it's true. A good rule of thumb is not to trust anybody who believes that they have uh, that they answer to no one but themselves. Every one of us needs accountability. Churches are designed with checks and balances just like every place else so that we guarantee a balance of power. One person, one small group of people have no right to insist on their own way. We are accountable to those in authority over us, whether that's in government or in the workplace or in the church. But here's a third characteristic of false teachers. They don't walk the talk. Verse 10 tells us that they follow their corrupt desires and their sinful nature. Verse 14, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. In other words, they see in every situation an opportunity to satisfy their own self-interest, whether that's power, tension, Influence, material, personal gain. They are obsessed and compulsive about that, those sins, seducing every vulnerable soul that they come upon. And remember, Peter uh, says their specialty is greed and they're experts at it. And here's the fourth they are outside the mainstream of Christian thought and fellowship. Listen to verse 15. They have left the straight way and they wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, who loved the way of darkness. Balaam was this Old Testament prophet who came perilously close to selling out Israel for the sake of money until he was rebuked by his donkey. False teachers sell out their Christian principles and values for their own selfish gain. They leave the straight way. They wander off the truth. In other words, they find themselves... um, Outside the mainstream of Christian thought and action, and their defense is being uh, for being like this is to claim that they're right and everybody else is wrong. We should be suspicious of anyone who's out there telling us that their approach, their teaching, their methods, their ideas are superior to everybody else's. False teachers tend to separate themselves from the rest of the group, they do it by saying, Hey, I'm the one that's right. Everybody else is wrong. But when you examine their teaching, you will find that they are the one who's left the beaten path. They are the one um, who has deserted what Christians have believed and practiced for centuries. And they are the one outside the box who's finding fault with everybody else. Now in the book of Acts, the writer makes an indictment regarding the residents of Athens. And he says this. They spent their time doing nothing but talking to others and listening to the latest ideas. The Message Translation puts it this way. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around waiting for the latest tidbit on almost anything. Unfortunately, we see that in the church today too, don't we? We've tried to become... We, we, we've become tired of historic Christian doctrine and, and we're always looking for something entertaining, something new. We have people who don't want to hear about prayer and Bible study and witnessing and being a servant and being faithful and being obedient. That's boring stuff. They just want to hear some juicy stuff they haven't heard before. So why is it that many people are so easily misled by false teaching? and how can we prevent it from happening? I think there are many reasons for certainly among them is the fact that lots of us are naive, aren't we? We don't take time to think always and discern the truth so we are, as the Bible says, tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. We believe the first thing we hear that sounds reasonable whether it's the truth or not. And I think sometimes we get emotionally drawn in by a personality. We focus on a person it may be their charisma, their style, their voice, something that attracts us to them more so than the message itself. We get emotionally invested in their story, their needs, their views, and it's hard to see another perspective and some people are master manipulators getting people to listen to what they have to say. But often we just take our eyes off the source of truth and when we do that we're lost. Remember Peter when he got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus, he was doing fine until what? He took his eyes off the Savior, right? And it was then that he began to sink. Anytime we fix our gaze on a person, we're going to be disappointed because human beings aren't perfect. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll never be disappointed. But we can't have it both ways. We can't be on both sides of the fence. Truth and error are not compatible. Light and darkness don't mix. Goodness and evil are at opposite poles. And yet some of us pride ourselves on being understanding, don't we? Or being tolerant of accepting both sides. The Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Peter says in chapter 3 that ignorant and unstable people distort the truth. Sometimes our response calls for us to stand for the truth and do the right thing. We trace our heritage in the United Methodist Church back to John Wesley, who was often referred to as the man of one book. One of the things he taught people was that um, the Bible was the source of truth. And the more informed we are about what God says in that book, the less likely we are to listen to and be influenced by those who spread false information and distortions of the truth. And that's the best solution I know of to recommend to you. Be people of the book. Like it or not, Peter was pretty plain about false teachers. And he tells us that they are a fact of our spiritual life. We need to be aware that they're out there being destructive wherever they can. And Peter echoes what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Beware of the false prophets who come to you disguised in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Learn to discern truth from error. Don't be misled by everything you hear. False teachers are destructive. But we can protect ourselves from their teaching by focusing on doing what God has called us to do. And that is serve Jesus and serve others that's what we're asked to do pray with me heavenly father thank you for your word of truth thank you for the warnings against false teachers and their destructive doctrines keep us under the shadow of your wing and guide us into all truth in jesus name